0: Hello and welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I'm Howard Parker. 25 years ago, Michelle Lee broke into the broadcast business where most people break into a new business, at the bottom. These days, Michelle is recognized as an award-winning broadcaster, being the recipient of the IBMA Broadcaster of the Year Award in 2019 and the Spigma DJ of the Year Award in 2022. What's it like to break into the business? What does it take to become an award-winning broadcaster? Well, who better to ask these questions than another award-winning broadcaster? Listen up as Michelle Lee of WOBL Radio talks with Katie Daly.
1: I was born in July, July of 77, in Cleveland, Ohio, um, to, uh, to Phyllis and Amel Baez. Um, I'm the youngest of 10. I have six brothers and three sisters. All my brothers were born first. The first six were all boys. And then uh, the four girls came later on. In 14-year span, um, all of us were born. And my dad was in the air force. Um, my mom's always been a homemaker taking care of all the kids and everything. But, um, you know, for me, myself, uh, growing up, you know, I was into sports. I was into basketball. I was into uh, softball with, uh, my family. Um, uh, my parents were both coaches. My mom coached me pretty much my whole life all the way up till high school. And then, um, uh, With a family like ours, we always had a field next to our house that we played ball and any ball, wiffle ball, football, (laughs) anything, you name it, we were pretty much doing it. Um, I was a cheerleader for the longest time I can remember. Let's see, probably since I was like three, I was the mascot all the way up till I was in the eighth grade. Then I decided I wasn't going to be a cheerleader in high school. I wanted to pursue my actual other sports, basketball and softball. So I did that. Um, musically, um, my family loved music. Um, they loved country. They loved the old rock and roll, old music growing up. So that's pretty much what we listened to. And um, that the only music ability I have was I was in choir in high school. Um, I enjoyed that. But uh, other than that, nobody in our family was musical inclined to pursue a career in music, nor in well radio until I decided to have the interest in radio myself. Um, I listened to one of our major market stations in Cleveland, became really good friends with, uh, some of the DJs there who I just like kind of just asked questions and just to kind of find out, well, how'd you get into it? And that, but, uh, my, my true passion was to continue on with my softball career through college. And unfortunately, uh, with some injuries and things like that, that passion And Dream didn't go farther than that. Um, I was accepted to Pikeville University in Pikeville, Kentucky. Um, However, of course, I did not attend. Um, Instead, I decided to go to the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. Um, It was pretty much like a couple weeks before I was getting ready to graduate high school. I kind of was seeing a commercial for it on television, believe it or not. And I was like, hmm. You know, for as much passion I had to learning about it from my fellow uh, my mentors um growing up through high school, I thought, you know what, I wonder if this could be something that I would be good at. And did your mentors ever have you up at the station to look around,
2: or did you come yes. out with appearances or how did, what all did that entail?
1: Um, no, I um I got to be um I got to go up to the station and see how it all ran seen uh, all the equipment and watched them on air a few times and that went out to their public appearances kind of just like as a little kid you know you're just admired and fascinated by you know who you listen to on the radio just as you are on TV watching actors um and that and that's how i kind of like kind of got an idea of you know that would be something to pursue I mean, education was one of my pursues. Uh, If I would have went on to Pikeville University, I would have gone into uh, education um, and that. But uh, again, you know, when you learn something different and your passion just kind of like throws you in a a curveball, you kind of see what that direction is going to unfold. So not too long after graduation in 95, I was at Ohio Center for Broadcasting and already starting my career. And... um, it's amazing the opportunities as soon as I got into that school and and started, you know, staying focused on what I wanted and the drive that I have for what I do, you know, I always felt, you know, I felt comfortable. And, uh, one thing (laughs) a lot of people don't know, and my confidence was never, wasn't always there to be doing what I do and what we do as a living. But, um, in high school, I actually went into modeling and I did modeling and I did runway work and that brought a lot of confidence out. I mean, I was confident in my sports, things like that, but talking to people and doing things that a radio personality would eventually do, I wasn't that much confident, even though the modeling happened two years prior to that, it wasn't something that I thought was going to lead me into what I do today.
2: Right. Right. Well, we've, uh, in uh, talking with all the people that we have here on Bluegrass Stories, we find that every experience, every skill that they gather along the way, eventually ends up helping them in their career. Somewhere down the pike, it will help you out.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It's amazing how, you know, being the youngest of 10, it it wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, I wasn't ever heard or seen or anything. It was just more like, I stepped back and kind of observed you know, watch what my brothers and sisters did and I will not do it or get caught doing. It. But now, I mean, you know, just listening to the radio, um, it, it was kind of like the start of it. Um, uh, my, one of my mentors um, is an award-winning broadcaster in country music, Erin um, uh, Kelly, and also uh, Lucy Grant was another mentor of mine. Um, I do have some male mentors, but they were pretty much the ones that kind of put me underneath their ring- wing and let me call them and ask them questions as I was in the beginning stages of Ohio Center for Broadcasting and to venture into the path that I have gone into. And I still, to this day, still communicate with them, which is amazing.
2: How, how long uh, was that a study? A year, two years?
1: Um, honestly, it actually wasn't. It was, it was all hands on. Um, the, the, it was less than a year uh, now these days um it's a 2 to 3 year program i was in one of the groups that um when they when it was uh, open and available for me it was less than i want i believe it was like 10 months only um and that depended on how you finished um cuz you have to do internship hours you have to put in so many hours um and everything but the key thing was was as soon as you got in, you enrolled, you start classes. My first instinct was I want an internship. I want to learn. I want to be doing something in radio now. So I literally got my first internship two days after start enrolling. Mm. And I worked in promotions at uh, a medium-sized market out in Akron at,
2: um, playing for our listeners who may not know promotion, what that means. What does that job entail?
1: Well, promotion and being in the promotions in radio, um, <laughs> it's literally helping set up, tear down, um, live remote broadcast and going out on the street, pretty much uh, promoting the station any possible way. And means that they have, um, that you work with the advertisers that advertise with the station within, and you go out to their place and just promote the station as well as their business. Um, we did um, like car shows, We did um, some baseball games. We would be at ball games and things like that, just promoting the station um, in that area. And that isn't like, as to me as an intern, that was like fascinating because you got to meet all your listeners, you know, watching the on-air personality show up and being greeted by their fans who came specifically to meet them was interesting and you know being at the Boots Scootin' saloon at the time when that was in existence here in Cleveland um, that was another location and having you know Thursday night line dance evening with the on-air personality that was their highlight you know they're like I'm dancing with you know who I listen to on the radio or and things like that so I got to be part of you know making sure everything was set up and torn down and and got to meet listeners in that capacity
2: publicity photos and things like that
1: yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, it's unique. Um, obviously, um uh, to me, you know, promotions was fun. I mean, obviously it's an aspect of the business that we do. Um, wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do per se, but, um, I wanted to be on air. Um, I didn't think how badly I wanted to be on air until, um, I got my second internship, which was literally same day that I got hired for the first internship. And again, in that um, you had so many hours you had to put in. You have to put in what you want to take out. So I'm working three jobs and doing two internships, plus going to school and making it happen Monday through Friday. And, what kind of
2: work are you doing?
1: Um, I just retail. I worked at um, a clothing store, a grocery store. And then I also, believe it or not, delivered papers. So, I mean, I, I did all jacks of trades to be able to pay for school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the second internship, obviously, um, gave me a little bit more opportunity to be in studio instead of offsite. And that was with WOBL, where I'm still employed. Um, And I was the intern for the morning show. So I got to show prep, you know, get all the topics together for them.
2: Now, uh, civilians uh, definition of morning, is probably a lot different than you and i have as the morning djs what time was morning starting for you
1: i had to be when i first started when i got up i had to be at the station by 4 30. in the morning because we right. went on the air at it depending on what's um what side of the station i was on um they usually went live at 6 and that Um, For a while, though, for a few years before that, they were going on at five. So they always wanted you about half hour to get in to kind of get things together, obviously. But uh, these days, a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) My morning um, show doesn't start till seven, but I still get in between 530 and six in the morning. So I'm up between 330 and four to get to work.
2: I don't want to leave your school experience. Uh, in addition to internships, what mm-hmm. other classes did they teach there?
1: Uh, was um, there engineering kind of stuff? House um, Center for Broadcasting, um, at the time when I was enrolled there, it was television and radio. Um, producing engineering just behind the scenes not so much as like the technical engineering you know learning the transmitter stuff and but things like to that run the board and all learning how to run the board how to uh, voice track and also be a different voice when need to be especially commercials um, and that that is always fun and entertaining um, to listen to my r- first tapes that I ever you know recorded of my projects that we had to do, because we had to do commercials for concerts, we had to do openings of shows, um, just different advertisements and things, but you had to be somebody different in all of them, you couldn't have your own voice, you had to be somebody else. And the voices that I try to come up with, I don't know how I'm <laughs> If anybody would ever hear those, I'd be like, what? Because <laughs> it's, it's just too funny to go back and listen to. It's really fun. Um, but um, I do have those. So hopefully they'll never get leaked out.
2: All right, so you, you got graduated from uh,
1: the school and you, you went on and stayed with WOBL? Well, um, and yeah, so I got an internship with WOBL and actually, As I want to say, not even a week after they offered me the overnight. Mm. So um, the program director at the the time, he offered me the overnight position on the weekends. So I wasn't even in school very long. And I was already, I already had a job. I mean, my internship turned into a job with WOBL and never looked back. Um, You know, that was unusual. Very unusual. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, I see interns come and go here at the radio station, and I can also see the ones who are passionate for the for the career in broadcasting, and then I can see the ones that, that are never going to make it
2: um, mm-hmm. because
1: they don't have the drive. Um, I think that's always a very important thing, no matter what profession you go into, um, to have passion and have the drive to be successful in what you do.
2: And to persevere.
1: Yes. <laughs> I had a
2: lot of, uh, weekenders who would come in and, and train with me and they'd say, oh, this time slot isn't good enough for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
2: There are only five people who get to work here, you know, you grab what you can get and then you work your way, you know, sideways, upward, whatever it is. But, yeah, uh, there were a lot of them who said, oh, I should be the morning person or the, you know, at, to start out. And that's, yeah,
1: it's amazing. Um, I was like overnight, oh, so Friday and Saturday into the overnight. I'm like, okay, I'll take it, you know. And I will. <laughs> at the time, um, we would just, of course, recording our shows. At that time in '95, it was pretty much you had to set it up yourself to do your air check, and that what I didn't know until. Um, that next day of my first time on my parents actually stayed up all night long cuz i was only i was barely 18 and my parents stayed up the whole time taking turns taping my whole entire first show um which i still have <laughs> i just got to get it d- digitally transferred but um that tape uh it's again entertaining to listen to because it was my first time by myself in a studio on the radio it was it. It's mind blowing. I mean, it kind of gives me chills even thinking about it. You know. Well, I think um, it's wonderful
2: that your parents were that supportive of whatever you were doing.
1: Oh yes, yes. I mean, they they were they were they were they are my number one supporters. Um, I mean, that was one thing. Uh, they knew I was passionate about, and just like the modeling. You know, my dad was like, mm, "You want to do that?" And I'm like, "You know, I'm not doing it for the purpose of modeling and making money. It's I'm doing it for something else." And it came to roundabout way, being more comfortable with me and being vocal and being able to be in front of people. And right. that kind of led into helping me be confident enough um, when I had to make a decision, obviously when I went to school, uh, where to go, you know, since I couldn't go to Pikeville and continue a career, you know, with higher education, um, with softball in mind to a different education that brought me to the point where I'm in today. Um mm-hmm. They've been hundred percent supportive in the whole thing. I
2: started on overnights, and then how did you progress to where you are now?
1: Um, well, I started overnights, and then it was slow. Um, it was just a slow process. I stayed on overnights for a long time. Went from the weekend overnights to the during the week overnights to uh, the seven to a seven to a midnight uh, slot for a while. And then, uh, at one point, they, I took a job and did the morning show at another station locally, um, in in uh, Huron, Ohio, for a short time. But then I came back to Wobl, and I was doing the the afternoon drive for a bit. And then I got offered a position to go to uh, Nashville to go work at a record label, and so I said, you know what. You're gonna know the ins and outs about the business. you learn the ins and outs about the business. You take the opportunity.
2: Something you pursued or did they uh, come after you for that job?
1: Um, they came after me because they wanted what was interesting, uh, it's a local independent uh, label. They want someone who had the experience of radio to understand what radio wanted from their artist. And for seven almost seven years, i I you know, did that, but I also stayed doing my bluegrass borderline show for Wobl during that time frame at the same time.
2: And you did it. Uh, uh, how did you do that? Online?
1: Uh, remotely. Um, actually, just remotely, and then I would uh, just submit them my uh, my tracks and everything each week. And that way, I still kind of kept that foot in the door. Um, sure. Had that opportunity. If I ever wanted to come back, um, I never left. Closed that door. Um, It was always there. So it was neat. It was kind of neat because I gave them the fresh look of, you know, news that was happening right there and then in Nashville and being part of my show. And then I would call in weekly with some events that would come up Mm -hmm. as well to talk about with the country format.
2: All right. So you spent seven years in Nashville and then said, I got to go back to radio. Mm What
1: was the driving force there? Well, um, it was time for me to, you know, yeah, it was time for me to come back home. It was time for me to, uh, being the youngest of 10, you take some responsibilities, um, not only for yourself, but for family members and my parents needed me. And um, I I was willing to go, I was single. Um, and the opportunity for me to, to come back to the station was there as well. Well, you really made good contacts there to
2: be coming and going as you have. Usually yeah. once you're gone, they don't remember your name, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: you really made good contacts there. Well, I think, I think that, you know, I think that's very important. Um, As you know, is, you know, you don't want to burn any bridges. Um, You want to keep contacts. You want to be able to have a good relationship. Um, When I would come home, I would stop up here and do my show live. Um, And that when I was still in Nashville, it wasn't like I ever abandoned um, ship at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I just had the owners of the radio station, being a locally owned independent radio station, working for a station in the community in the county that I live in, um, is amazing for you know for someone to do. Not everybody has that opportunity to do it. And for as long as I have been doing it, and you know, um, the Wilbur family started the Wobl back in 1970. Um, we just celebrated the the 71. Uh, um, I'm sorry, 1971. Uh, 50 years for the station. It's the longest running country station in Northeast Ohio. That's Never great. changed the format. So it, it's kind of cool. I I honestly, I listened to it growing up. So not only did I listen to Cleveland, but I also listened to our local channels as well. Plus kind of was a perk when I was playing high school sports. So I kind of got my name mentioned a few times. So
2: uh, This family, uh, it, it's interesting that they stayed uh, true to you and true to their format because radio doesn't always do that. That's they go correct. with whatever the best demographics for them, you know, wherever the money is, mm-hmm. and take these things format a lot. And uh so that the sound speaks well for this family.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, one of the coolest things was um when I got hired into WOBL, it was played the, all the classics. It you know, played the stuff my parents grew up on. So it was like listening to the radio. I mean, doing what my parents did, listening to the radio, and now I get to be part of it. And then They had asked me actually to host a special classic country show on Sundays because they wanted to go top 40s during the week, and then that lasted for only a few years. And then they were like, "Okay, we're (laughs) losing demographics. We need to go back to the classics, playing you know George Jones and and everybody like that, Rutland and Tammy Wynette." And so I looked at them, and I said, "That's great. You know, I mean, that's this is where I started. That's you know sounds wonderful." I said, "But." What does that do to Sundays? Cause that no longer left Sunday with a specialty format of the music. And I had a lot of listeners who would call in and ask for some bluegrass artists, you know, from Flat to Ricky Skaggs and Bill Monroe. They wanted me to kind of mix that in. So I had approached the owner um, and when he was switching, getting ready, that everything was going to be switched. I said, how about a bluegrass show? And he's like, bluegrass, really? He's like, I'm not really sure about that. He goes, where where did this one come from? He goes, what do you know about bluegrass? I said, well, not much, but I'm willing to learn. (laughs) I said, I know what I know and that's about it. And he goes, you have one month. So that literally only gave me four Sundays to prove a show can last. Three hour show. Um, It was a six hour.
2: Holy moly.
1: Yeah, six hours and so in uh, october of 20 um yeah it's been tw- yeah 22 years no Where 20, you yeah. the
2: record for a 6 hour show
1: it was called great grace of people who loaded me up with a lot of stuff labels that i just reached out to artists that i ended up finding you know sporadically obviously you know i wasn't huge on facebook at the time so that was still new to me, kind of new to everybody. Anybody who would be willing to send us some bluegrass stuff to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm—I mean, it blows my mind on how long the, the show's been still going, going strong. Now, I've, I have to admit, I only do five hours.
2: Oh, <laughs> you got lazy. i lazy. <laughs> well, then you get home for dinner. That's fine. Right. Uh, so, when you say you you sort of learn the music on the job. Uh, obviously you had been listening to that in the background with your parents home where they were playing country but uh you jumped into bluegrass with both feet
1: i jumped in both feet wasn't looking back yeah i I just you know I, i knew some of the artists i didn't know a lot i didn't know a lot of the history um but i you know when the opportunity came it was like you know it's a homework assignment just gotta dive in and and do your research and learn about it and you know, I mean, there's not, nothing held me back from having a show grow to obviously grow what it is today. And um, that's from the support of my parents, support of my brothers and sisters, um, the industry, you know, from the labels to the agencies and the publishers and the artists and the songwriters. Um, as you know, I mean, it's it's a, a domino, domino effect and to see that just grow And now it's like, sometimes I'm like, I have more than enough to fill the hours that I put on.
2: Well, how do you uh, program your uh, Bluegrass show? I mean, is it all your selections? Uh, Does anyone else have a say in it? Uh, You know, do you play mostly new stuff this week or you go back to the Goldie and the Oldies or tell me how you format your show?
1: So the Bluegrass Borderline, I literally, one thing, the key thing is everybody asked me why the name? And it's interesting. I just like the name of it. I was like, that sounds really good. You know, a lot of the Bluegrass songs have to do with a line, a train, a railroad. I was like, Bluegrass Borderline. I'm like, coming up with the name of the, the show was key, because that's going to be, that's going to stay with you. And the history of bluegrass. The more I, as I looked at it, I wanted to be able to bring the traditional, the traditional artists that a lot of my listeners grew up with, from Bill Monroe to the Flattened Shrugs to the Stonemans, you know, um, to Merle uh, Travis, and then also implement the newer bluegrass to, you know, today's sound to even to the progressive sound as we get into more of the, the genre of bluegrass. It's it, it's amazing how widespread it is and how narrow-minded some people are about what the, the, the bluegrass music and the sound is. Right. Um, I think once they really learn, they'll understand and appreciate it more. And I mean, I definitely grew to appreciate acoustic music, even more than what I already did. And I appreciated it a lot. I just never thought I could appreciate it even more so than I do now. Um, and being able to share it and make sure a show complements every show I put in. Um, so, you know, when you look at playing the traditional from Bill Monroe back in the, you know, fifties to throwing in like a junior sisk of today not his earlier stuff but even like to his today to be able to marry the two songs together you have to know the style of those artists and how you can transition from the classic traditional to traditional to contemporary to progressive and back into it you know it's that whole big circle um otherwise you lose your audience you lose your listeners but your key my key thing is I never want a listener to leave so you just make that circle just keep going around from Mm -hmm. one era to the next
2: i know uh in the 70s when they had an oil crisis Mm -hmm. getting virgin vinyl was difficult for the record companies and so all of the records sounded like somebody was frying bacon in the left channel and that was as good as it got and if you want and it could be a great song and great artist But the quality of the recording was not as good as modern day Mm -hmm. and could not jam them together. You had to find a way to either talk between them or throw your commercials or your promos in or whatever so that it doesn't suffer uh, because it's being compared to a modern day recording. Right. Those are things that you also have to think of or I had to think about the records probably all disintegrated and aren't around anymore. But uh, have you run across any of those?
1: Oh, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When, actually, when I first came to WOBL, we only used 45s and, and 33s um, and some 78s and real yeah. to real. I mean, I learned it all. I mean, that was like it's amazing when I have like, again, an intern come in now and they're just like, oh, this is so cool. You know, this is so easy. And it's like, you you have no idea. But.
0: So
2: tell us uh, when people can hear your shows, what hours are they on and are they online or what is their frequency, call letters and all of that?
1: Well, so um, my, my work day, my work week um, actually begins on Sunday and I'm on the air Sunday through Friday. Um, so I'm on the air six days a week at W O B L. Uh Sundays, of course, is the Bluegrass Borderline from noon till five. It also features my weekly top 10 countdown um, from actual airplay and requested songs that I receive um throughout the week. And then Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. till 11, it's the Smoke Country Jam, um, which is our country format, which I do implement bluegrass in the mix. Um, And Fridays, I feature the top five of the countdown from the the Sunday before to kind of give people a a refresher with the top five songs of of the week. But one thing I love about it is the fact that the right um, way to implement bluegrass in country is not very hard and nobody will ever know that you you just mixed in a, a bluegrass song within the country. And it gives me more opportunities to do more interviews with artists who whose schedule is not as flexible to do interviews live on a Sunday. So I'm able to welcome artists six days a week, not just the one day of the week. Um, All right. W O B L is is they can reach it online. Yep. Woblradio.com, and we also have a mobile app. Just search Wobl Radio in the apps uh, app store of your uh, smartphones or tablets. Um, Bluegrass Borderline is also uh, part of SBB radio on uh, Monday through Friday with the countdown and then Wednesdays with the show. Um, the weekly show on SBB is three hours and then also it's aired on Bluegrass Planet Radio uh, at bluegrassplanetradio.com and then the countdown uh, that the show is aired Monday and Thursdays. <laughs> Don't know exact times. I can never remember the times. Um, and then uh, the countdown airs on Bluegrass Planet Radio on Fridays evenings at seven. that I do remember. Um, so a lot of our um, listenership, we base it on our stream. and um, so, so since Katie, and this is interesting. so since I came back rebranding myself and my shows, I implemented that here at the station because I do our promotions here at the station and um, our social media and our website. And I always said, you know, you got to, we have to mirror what we do and say on a lot of things. And um, so we had a mobile, we have a mobile app, obviously. And when they implemented the the app, I want to say we've had it now, maybe only three years. We've only been streaming for four, not very long. Um, my, my main thing was one, when I, I was like, why are we not streaming? You know, we're AM FM. Why are we not streaming? It's another way to reach our listeners and those who, you know, move out of Ohio, who not very many Ohio people live here in the winter, you know, they, they lived here all, they go, they go South, you know, and, and I was like, we need to stream. So when they did the streaming and got that all in place, they decided to do the app. And our numbers were terrible. But you have to have everybody that's on your, on your staff be on the same page of how to promote it and how to get the word out. You know, not everybody knows that we're online. No, not a lot of people still know that we have a mobile app that's free. You don't have to pay. It's absolutely free. But um, our numbers went from pretty much trinkles to we're almost at a million. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to see the numbers just grow, um, you know, last December, I think our one figure that they, they shared with us was only, I want to say about 200,000 that were streaming us, um, through our stream, which goes, you know, both app and, and the, um, the streaming, but, um, now it's, it's almost, times four. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we're only in March and it's literally, we, we do billboards, you know, we actually, you have to advertise yourself to, you know, grow. And one thing is we're in there, we're in a business, you know, to help advertisers, but you have to remember, you have to advertise you at the same time. And that has helped in so many different ways. I mean, we, I have, we have listeners You know, not only because of the bluegrass show from Germany that tune in. I mean, they used to just tune in for the bluegrass borderline, but now they tune in all the time. I mean, the numbers are just crazy from Germany and England and and over in Canada and Australia. And it's just amazing to see those numbers grow within the numbers in the United States. and that so, yeah, that's how we we kind of track our listeners now. But um, well, you are obviously
2: doing excellent work because uh, two years ago you won the IBMA Broadcaster of the Year Award. And uh, just a few weeks ago, you were given the Spigma Bluegrass DJ Award. Um, those are very important to have on your resume. Uh, did you ever think you'd reach that level?
1: No, I didn't. Um, Honestly, I didn't know how to reach that level. um, And that's because my first nomination for IBMA was in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really sure how to go about, you know, how that all happened. So I, again, researched, you know, I didn't think, oh, my show is worthy of receiving and being a recipient of an award as as that stature. Um, but in 2016, um, I think that was the first time I did submit my show. Um, so which was 16 years after it began. Um, and I wasn't really sure if I was doing the right thing. Did like, did I do the process right? <laughs> How does this work? And things like that. So then since then, I, um, you know, 2017, I did it again, got nominated, 18 nominated and, and 19 was able to, you know, be the be the uh the recipient of it which was amazing um definitely definitely a goal that i I was i'm very honored to uh receive and well i don't think as
2: anything you do the first time is not a number one hit you have to sort of figure out what they're looking for and what you've got that you want to submit and all that so it is a big learning curve but congratulations on getting that that's great and on Spigma, Spigma works differently, doesn't it? That you're nominated by the fans.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Abby, this was weird. I was actually on my way in 2019, that December. I was on my way to um, Pigeon Forge for my girlfriend's wedding. And I got a call saying I'm nominated for Spigma. And I was like, huh? I was like, Who, how? How did I get nominated? Because I didn't even know their process of how you get nominated. Um and that and which I'm very grateful. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's cool. I was like, all right, I guess winning, you know, IBM A kind of made people realize I do exist, <laughs> you know, and being nominated. And um, so in 2020, I didn't win, I wasn't the recipient. And then obviously with the pandemic and COVID, um, Spigma didn't happen in 2020. And 2021 so obviously that well it's all postponed to this coming this past year past january and again i was like someone had called me and said um hey i just want to wish you luck and i'm like for what and they're like you're nominated for spigma broadcaster of the year the dj of the year and i'm like okay i'm like how did i get nominated and then i get a call um and text and email saying you know. The list is out. You're nominated, you know. Uh you're one of the six nominated for this year's Figma. And I'm like, oh, that is so wonderful. I said, that's great. I said, I kind of needed some good news, you know, in my life. And so that was like something special, obviously. And um then I was leaving to go to Kentucky to go be with my family, my brother, um, his wife, um, my brother's wife and their children and celebrate my brother's life and I totally forgot about that like as soon as my mode was time to go with my family time to be with them celebrate my brother I totally forgot about spigma happening that same weekend and I had talked to Alan bobby like the week before when I found out I was nominated and I said to him I said I don't know if I'll be able to make it I don't know my circumstances, what's going on family-wise. I said, but if I happen to win, I said, will you go up there and accept it for me, (laughs) you know? And he's like, I'd be happy to. And so I'm in Kentucky and sitting there in the hotel room with my sister and my brother-in-law and other family members. And I get a text on that Sunday evening of Spigma from Joe Mullins congratulating me. And I was like, Uh, what did I do? Because I totally forgot that that night was the awards. And I looked at my sister and I'm like, Joe Mullins just congratulated me. And she's like, for what? (laughs) I was like, you know, it just like, it just baffled me. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, I think it's the awards tonight. I'm not really sure. And she's like, well, go on Facebook. Look, my facebook feed was like and i was like whoa i just won spigma of the year and i said it was only my second time being nominated i mean i was like so tickled i mean it was just wow you know and
2: well when i read your bio you uh you graduated with the leadership bluegrass class what year was that 2020 right before the pandemic okay okay um, I was 2008. Howard graduated 2006, I think, and uh, we both got a lot out of the Leadership Bluegrass class. Mm-hmm. And on your um, uh, on your bio, you say that uh, you credit the Leadership Bluegrass class with teaching you a lot about um, professional standards and really credit Leadership Bluegrass for upping your game. You want to yep. explain that? Uh,
1: with leadership bluegrass it's i i you know you think about being part of leadership bluegrass you you're, you're not the, sure what you're getting yourself into yeah, um, it's a
2: weekend in nashville
1: there's 25
2: attendees the reason right. is because the conference room where it's held only has 25 chairs <laughs> that's, that's true and that's why it's capped at that number but it's people from all over the world and through different parts, that could be musicians, people from the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know when I went, I met a lot of people, the inter uh, meeting people was one of the most important parts because I never would have known them or been introduced because they lived you know, way away from where I was. Right. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead.
1: No, you're fine, you're fine. No, yeah, I mean, I, I've met a lot of amazing people who, like you said, it, do different things in the business. Do have uh, interests in other areas? Promoters to record heads to you know. Um, we I had um, one of my attendees, one of my classmates is from Pandora. You know, um, she was part of our our class, and which was interesting. And and I think what I I took most out of it, and and again, it kind of goes back to the name of my show, Bluegrass Borderline, is implementing and understanding the different. Subgenres of bluegrass music, because there is so many different subgenres in bluegrass music. I mean, bluegrass itself is a subgenre of you know roots and country music and understanding that, and that's why you know when you implement that all of it together, it creates an amazing piece of artistry from all the artists and the songwriters. Um, but what i um one of the things that I felt that I took personally is, you know, understanding and being able to implement it even more within my show Um, from the artists, from them, their their perspective on how they would like to be perceived um, and what style of bluegrass they, you know, bring to the table, the diversity of the bluegrass industry, um, learn more about that and understanding, you know, everybody has a role to play and the music is only going to flourish if, we all do our piece and for like you and I um, broadcasting is our piece, our voice. Um, I leave the singing and that and the songwriting to the professionals. I'm willing to be the instrument of providing that to the fans um, and being that outlet. But I also understood, you know, learning um, that it's important to brand yourself. Um, it, It was like, I had, for two shows that I did, my country format and my bluegrass, everything was separate. And it made me realize I'm one individual. I am the same in both. So it's time to merge the two. And it kind of came at the time, obviously, with the pandemic, you know, obviously, a few weeks after leaving um, Nashville. And uh, in that March of 2020, um, surviving the tornado that came through and, and, you know, hit Nashville during our time as, uh, with our leadership class, but to understand you don't have to be two different formats. You just need to be one person with one voice and bring them together in your branding. And so I came back in full speed revamping new logo, um just new apparel things like that for my show for myself um not necessarily for the station but for what I wanted to do for my my own career um and everything i think that was a huge piece and i took a lot of advice from so many different classmates who you know they're already there they already knew you know about Oh, you want a brand that, you know, brand, you want brand, brand, brand. That was like impounded, you know. And I think it's key. I mean, that's like when you see the logo for IBMA, that's their brand. You know, when you see certain things, you know who that belongs to. And again, not being a musician, using instruments doesn't identify me and what I do. When they see my show names, the Smoke Country and Bluegrass Borderline, you know, a lot of people thought I was a musician for the longest time with Bluegrass Borderline, they thought I was a band. And I was like, no, I'm just a broadcaster. I'm I'm a radio personality. That's my show name. And so I was like- I, I don't think you'll ever
2: be just a broadcaster. In the show. <laughs> Take that word out of your vocabulary. You're a broadcaster.
1: I am you a broadcaster. I, it, it, well, it baffles me because this year I'll be, it's 27 years this year. So it's crazy. <laughs> I never thought I was going to get to 25 you know, it was like when I hit 25 in the business, I was like 25 years I've been doing this.
2: Right. And if, if someone is thinking about, or maybe they're a broadcaster themselves and they need that reinvigoration or learn how to brand or any of this, what advice do you have for someone who's interested in broadcast as a career? And by broadcast, I could, it could be a podcast. It could Mm -hmm. be you know, uh, digital, video, could be any of that stuff.
1: I think um, when people look into broadcasting and I kind of talk to a lot of my interns when they come, um, you know, we get them from universities. We get them from the what is now called the Ohio Media School for uh, Broadcasting because they now, they broaden what the school offers, obviously, since now they go longer um, than when I was there with Ohio Center for Broadcasting. Um, one thing I always tell them is, have passion, passion to learn, um, that is always key and it will help them succeed in what they want to do. Um, whether, you know, whether, whatever part, part of the industry they want to be part of, be passionate about it, learn, always learn. You never want to stop learning. Believe me. I never wanted to like continue. When you get done with school, you're like, Hi, I'm done learning. Well, guess what? you still got to learn your, your profession. Um, and you want to grow. Um, I think, you know, I think, uh, branding is a, a key thing, whether you're, you know, an engineer or a producer or a musician or a broadcaster, um, you have to have a place where you could call home. And mine is Michelle Lee on air.com. Um, I, that was one of the things that was important to me is have my own website. Um, so they get to know me and then they get to hear, you know, where they could, where they could see, where they could find me, where they can listen to my shows. Um, I think that, um, was a huge, um, step. I mean, I had a site where people could go and do that, but it wasn't what it is today because it was part of the branding. Um, social media is key. I, obviously I use Facebook quite a bit. I use Instagram, um, but I also kind of mirror those. So I I visit both. I'm I'm always on Facebook. I mirror it to Instagram, so people there who don't follow me on Facebook do get to see what's going on. Um, staying very out there, um, and that. But again, be passionate um, and be willing to learn. If you're not willing to learn, you're never going to grow in the profession that you you succeed to go into.
0: And that was award winning broadcaster Michelle Lee talking with Katie Daly. WOBL Radio is in Oberlin, Ohio and broadcast over the air at 107.7 FM. More about WOBL Radio at WOBLRadio.com. Michelle Lee can be heard on air hosting Smoke Country Jam, Gold Country, And Bluegrass Borderline. Bluegrass Borderline, by the way, is also streamed on SBB Radio and Bluegrass Planet Radio. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on SoundCloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and KatieDaily.com. As always, thanks so much for listening to Bluegrass Stories.